February 13, today's date. And because it is the 13th, I want to talk to the ladies in the congregation for just a moment. Ladies. I have one word for you today. One request. Mercy. Mercy. See, ladies, whether you're single, married, uh, interested, wherever you are, I just need you to understand the kind of fear that strikes the heart of man on February 13th. We know what tomorrow is. We've known it for a year. We've known it since the last time it came around and we saw the looks of disappointment on your face. The radio station plays constant ads this week warning us not to mess it up. Constant ads that say, it's three days away, it's two days away, what's your plan? No joke, yesterday as I was picking up my kids, the radio station, sports station said, hey guys, if you bought anything that's not jewelry, she's not going to like it. That's what it said. Jewelry is it. Jewelry is the thing. Whatever else you bought, throw it away. She's not going to want it. Jewelry is the best way to express your love. She'll like it. I don't know about that. But what I do know is that the special person in your life, whether it's your husband, boyfriend, significant other, maybe your son, they're really trying. They really are trying. So have mercy. Yes. Look, I know from experience, I've been married, my wife and I've been married for 15 years. I haven't, I don't remember ever getting it right, to tell you the truth. And it's not for lack of trying, right guys? It's not for lack of trying. Y'all are like a magical Rubik's Cube. That, 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 it's not for lack of trying, but, but the truth be told, think about it. All the pressure that society puts on us to give you the one gift that would make you understand how amazing you are. That's a lot of pressure for a stuffed animal or box of chocolates, right? So we've tried probably grandiose statements, uh, writing love notes, sending flowers, things like that. But invariably, invariably, you'll say, it's a thought that counts, honey. It's a thought that counts, which is like the hardest words for us to hear because we really try. Now, I know that there's a few guys out there who just gave up. Dudes, don't give up. Don't give up. But ladies, mercy, mercy. Have some mercy. Honestly, how can in one gift, how can you tell your wife how much you love her, what an important person she is to you, how beautiful and amazing she is? How can you tell her that with one tiny gift? How could you share the full extent of it? It's, it's darn near impossible. So we understand that you'll be disappointed in some way, so have some mercy. Smile at least. Try not to choke on it. Say thank you. That goes a long way. And don't pat us on the back. <laughs> We're trying. Sometimes we mess it up. 
my wife will tell you the stories if you ask her of my failed attempts. I just think it's difficult, and uh, I just think society makes it even that more difficult by creating these unrealistic expectations. Because like I said, how can you communicate a fullness of your love in, in, in a gift, no matter how expensive it is? It can never really compare to what you truly feel. It's just hard. The Bible tells us in the book of John, what did you call it, Jake? The real John? What is it, the real? The regular John. In, in the book of regular John, that Jesus tried to express the fullness of his love in a gift. That's what we've been reading. So I invite you to read there as we're uncovering this, this chapter about Jesus' love. We're in the book of John chapter 14 for today. The Bible tells us, starting a couple of chapters back, that Jesus met with his disciples on Thursday evening uh, as they were celebrating the Passover meal. As Jesus was preparing, he knew what lay ahead. Uh, he knew that he would be taken up and crucified on Friday and, 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 and dead and buried over the weekend, but on this, on this evening, the Bible tells us that he shared a Passover meal with his closest friends, and on John chapter, regular John chapter 13, Bible tells us that Jesus intended to show them the full extent of his love. He wanted to leave a gift that would express the fullness of his love. Notice what happened to him. The Bible tells us that when he got together with his disciples in John chapter 13, that he began to wash their feet. You recall, because we've studied here, and last week we began to uncover the rest of the story. And he washed their feet and didn't understand it. He was trying to do something nice, and the disciples were scratching their heads. That's kind of what it feels like sometimes. Right, guys? We try to do something nice, and our wives or significant others are like, what are you doing? What's this for? How much did this cost? And, um, and Jesus is doing something nice, something beautiful and amazing, but his disciples don't quite get it. And he begins to say, you don't understand now, but someday you will. And then the Bible tells us in John chapter 13 and 14 that he once again, although he'd been laying the groundwork, explains that he is going to leave. Like I said, shortly he will be taken up, but he, he's talking about leaving permanently. In fact, in, thir- in chapter 13, he tells them, I'm going somewhere where you cannot follow. You recall we studied it last week. Peter says, We're, I'll go with you anywhere. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, no, no, you won't. You really won't. And the disciples are confused. And in John chapter 14, Jesus begins to say, don't be confused. Don't be alarmed. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Familiar verse, rest, regular John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place. And if I go, I will come back. I will return to take you to be with me. Disciples are not convinced. They say, why can't we go? Where are you going? We don't understand. And Jesus says, yes, yes. You will understand, and you will know the way. You remember, we read this last, uh, last week. And they said to him, verse 5, chapter 14, but Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And I love this. We read it last week, and Philip said to him, okay, just show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. 
Just show us the Father. Jesus is trying to explain and express the concept of his sacrifice and that he must be crucified, that he must die and resurrect and then be taken to heaven. But the disciples don't understand because they have other ideas. They have other expectations. And they say, okay, this is confusing us, but if you would just show us the Father, we know you're someone special, but if you would just reveal to us the Father, let us see him, then we'll be satisfied. But Jesus says... If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. For the Father and I are one. How can you say, show us the Father? He says, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. He begins to express this concept that, like I said, in Christianity we're familiar with, the oneness between God and Jesus. In fact, it's, it's the statements that he made that got him killed, that he that he had the audacity to claim that he and God were one, that he was connected, that he was from God, that he was God himself. And he continues, verse 15, and if you love me, chapter 14, and you will obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus, trying to express the fullness of his love, understanding that he would have to physically leave, says to his disciples, but I'm going to leave you a gift. I will ask the Father, and the Father will send another. In the original language, it means one like this one, another of this kind. He says, I have to leave. There's a place that I'm going. You cannot come. But I will ask the Father, and the Father will send another like me. And that one will be with you forever and will be in you. Jesus, trying to express and show and demonstrate the fullness of his love, says, this is the gift I will do it with. And he calls him the counselor, the spirit of truth. He goes on to say, which we studied last week, that the world cannot see him or know him, but you can. You can. So let's talk about this gift, this spirit of truth. As Phyllis asked the kids, what does the spirit look like? See, when we think about God, we have a concept. And when we think about Jesus, we might even have a picture. But when we think about the third member of the Trinity, the Spirit, it's pretty unclear. Kids don't have answers to that one. When we are tasked with explaining the Holy Spirit, it is difficult for us, even those of us that have grown up in church and those of us that are theology majors. The truth is, we know very little about the Spirit. We have some knowledge and some understanding because the Bible is full of references, but in our, in our everyday life, in the way we conceptualize our relationship with God, the Holy Spirit seems to take on a, how should I put it, lower level in the conversation. And yet Jesus says, this is how I will express the fullness of my love, by asking the Father to send you the Spirit. He, 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 he says something even more strange. If you turn the page to chapter 16, regular John chapter 16, and flip it over, it, uh, uh, Jesus it goes on to explain and he says this, uh, chapter, beginning with uh, 
chapter 5, I mean chapter 16, verse 5. It says, I'm going to the one who sent me, yet none of you asks where are you going because I have said these things, you will be filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Because unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And uh, I was telling our first service, this is a troubling statement for me because it's hard for me to get around this idea that Jesus has to go for our benefit. Truth be told, I asked this morning, how many would like Jesus to show up to church today? How many would like to see Jesus walk in the door right about now? Right? Wouldn't you say, Pastor, just show us Jesus? <laughs> I used to preach at a pulpit where, not making this up, the pulpit was like this, somewhere where you wouldn't see it was inscribed. It said, it said this, preacher, we would see Jesus today. It was like telling me, you better show us some Jesus. And every time I stood behind the pulpit, I was like, ah, I wish he would just walk in the door. Then everyone would finally be convinced. But Jesus says, I can't stay here physically. I cannot. In fact, it says, I must go away for your benefit. I've struggled with that concept. I was telling for service how for most of us, especially those of us that like being in company, some of y'all like to be alone, but some of us like to be with other people. It is difficult saying goodbye. I have a daughter who has a very difficult time saying goodbye. This week we had to get away, wife and I, and my daughter was like, where are you going? When are you coming back? <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> Tell me all about it. Uh, she panicked. I, I, I can't give it all away. She called me early, early, early. She says, where are you? I, I don't know where you are. I saved it on my phone, but I don't want to play it for you. You, you'll, you break your heart. It, it does for me. She has struggled ever since she was very little. She has struggled with being left, left behind. And, and, and I'm sure the disciples were feeling the same way. Jesus saying, I'm going. You cannot come with me. And they're like, where are you going? Why can't we go with you? And Jesus says, it is for your benefit that I go. Isn't that strange? Why does it feel like it's either or? which is what I've been asking Jesus. Does it have to be one or the other? He says, it is for your benefit because unless, unless I go away, he will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Fascinating, don't you think? Jesus is saying, I want to give you this gift. But in order for, for me to give you this gift that shows and expresses the fullness of my love, I cannot be here. I think it's strange because most of us in our experience of Christianity and our love for God and our love for Jesus and our acceptance of him as our Savior really want to see Jesus walk in the room in person. He's so relatable. He's got that hipster beard that makes him really cool right now. and He probably wears Toms for shoes. Jesus is so, like, not like God the Father who we, we are more afraid of, but Jesus is so relatable. We, we, we want to see him. We want to be like the disciples where Jesus says, here, touch, touch my hands, put your fingers in them, touch my side. But Jesus says, the best way for me to show you my love is to go away. No one else finds that troubling? <laughs> Unless I go away, the counselor will not come. That's what he said. I'm going. But I will ask the Father and he will send another. 
In his book, The Forgotten God, Francis Chan asked this question, if I've got Jesus, what do I need the Holy Spirit for? Which is not exactly the story of my life, but it does kind of uh, describe my experience growing up in church. I learned a lot about God. I learned a lot about Jesus, very little about the Holy Spirit. In fact, all spirit things were kind of creepy, kind of scary. The only thing I grew up learning about the Holy Spirit is you would that is that if you were, I don't know, super duper avenous, you would get this little thing on top of your head. You know what I'm talking about? Called a tongue of fire. No one else has seen it. It looks like a little flame. No one? Okay, just me. I saw pictures of it and it said if you were super duper whatever, the Holy Spirit will come and you'll get this little thing of fire on your head. And when you have that little thing of fire in your head, then you can do all kinds of stuff. And so I grew up sort of like, without it being fully explained, believing that the Holy Spirit was this power of this force that would just be so hard to capture and grasp and that it would only show up at certain very rare occasions. Right? Anyone else with me? Anyone else with me? So we clung to the notion of Jesus because Jesus says, here I am, come unto me. But the Holy Spirit seemed like a thing that was just, you know, like a a force reserved for only the special people. And yet Jesus says here, no, no, if I go, I will ask the Father and he will send you another. So, so I've been asking a question, and he says it's for our benefit. Well, what do we actually need the Holy Spirit for? Well, okay, we're going to do some, some biblical exercise here, right? So if you've got a Bible or a smartphone, move quickly because I know we don't have much time. First, we're going to go right past John. We're going to go to Acts chapter 1. You know the story in Acts chapter 1. Jesus is getting ready to ascend up to the sky. And he has told them in Matthew chapter 28, last, last bit there of the Gospels, he has said to them, Now I'm leaving, but I leave the authority and the challenge in front of you. You will be my disciples and you are going to, you are going to evangelize, baptize, teach, preach, evangelize to the whole ends of the earth. But in Acts chapter 1, he tells them, he tells them, uh, Beginning with verse uh, 6, he says, you will receive, no, sorry, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He said to them, this is what you're going to do, but you can't go just yet until what? You receive, anyone? Uh, Thank you. Power. You receive power. Jesus says, the task, the great commission, you know this, we're you've been around Christianity, the great commission to evangelize the world is something that we are tasked with doing, but we cannot do it unless we have power. And where does the power come from? Spirit. Holy Spirit. Number one, what is the Holy Spirit good for? Why would God want us to have it? What would Jesus, why would Jesus want us to have power, number one? And that right there is good enough for me because I like power. Nobody else? Anybody else like power? See, I, I've been fantasizing about this since I was a kid. If I had the little tongue... You know what I'm talking about. I could go, ah, right? And then like, no one? Okay, you guys are all probably Superman's Wonder Woman, but I was like, Holy Spirit, man, ah, you know. And a little, little fire would shoot out and things would happen. When it was a big fight at church and I would go, ah, and people would be nice to each other. When we needed money, I would go, ah, and suddenly there was offering in the plate. No one else? Okay. 
My brothers and I practiced baptism in the pool every chance we got. No, it was my turn to baptize you. No, you baptized me last week. I'm going to baptize you. This is pastor's kids. This is how we grew up. Power, power. But Jesus says it is a power not necessarily for your own gain. That's the difference between corruptive power and Holy Spirit power. This power is to do the will of God, to evangelize. Check it out. Acts chapter 4. Notice what happens. Notice what actually happened. Jesus had already left. Acts chapter 4. The group of people that, 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 that Jesus had left in charge began to pray. Verse 31. And it says this. After they prayed. I'm going to go fast. The place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And spoke the word of God boldly. I love that. Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses. But you are not going to be shy witnesses. I want you to speak with boldness. Has anyone else ever wanted to have boldness when talking about God? No one. Okay, one person. Thank you. No one. I think we all know the task, the commission is for all of us, but I also think that all of us are convinced that we don't have what it takes to live out the commission. So we'd rather someone else, more bold than us, do it. We leave the work of evangelizing, preaching, teaching about somebody else because we don't think we have it. But the Bible says that when they prayed for the Spirit, they began to speak the Word of God boldly. I also, as a pastor, always fantasized that while I'm preaching, the place would shake. And then you would all know the truth. And then I wake up. Power. Boldness. Romans chapter 8, just keep flipping the pages. We're going to go quickly, like I said. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Apostle Paul begins to explain and express to us uh, what life through the Spirit is. Uh, Romans chapter 8, the Bible says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what their nature desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And the mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The Spirit brings peace. And in the, in the, the day and age that you and I live, which is constantly overrun by ox- obstacles and hurdles and challenges, don't you want some peace in your life? Don't you want some ah, power, boldness, peace. Romans chapter 8, keep going, verse 15 and 16. The Bible says this, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba and Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It is the Holy Spirit that allows us to become adopted by God. Sonship. Daughtership. It is the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says that the Spirit gives us help for our weaknesses. And I don't know about you, but I got lots of those, and I need help. Hope, Romans chapter 15, the Spirit gives us hope. First uh, Corinthians, go over next book. First Corinthians chapter 6, please. You're not gonna like this one, but I have to read it anyway. First Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. Apostle Paul is writing and he says this, Do you not know that the wicked would not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be fooled. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, neither thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, slanderers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed 
you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of the Lord God. Paul says, we're all sinners and some of us are deep, deep in it, he says. He says, and make no mistake, your deep sins cannot coexist with God, but the Spirit washes you and justifies you and sanctifies you. The Spirit does that. The Spirit, yes, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is by the Spirit of our God. Never mind what Paul says, the Spirit gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Y'all recall, ever heard a sermon on the fruit of the Spirit? Patience, joy, kindness. How about the gifts of the Spirit? You know that the whole church exists solely because the Spirit gives to us each gifts. The Bible says according to His will. To some, the gift of wisdom. To some, the gift of exhortation. To some, the gift of miraculous power. Our whole notion of the church community is founded on the idea that the Spirit put us here, brought us here, and set us up and holds us up. And yet, and yet, most of us have a hard time getting around the idea of the Holy Spirit. Jesus makes a strange statement that that I, I just, it kind of got into my into my heart here when back at regular John chapter 14 he says this I'm going to read it to you it says the world cannot see Jesus I mean the, the spirit of truth the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or him but you know him for he lives in you and will be with you and then he says this I will not leave you as orphans I will come to you before long the world will not see me anymore but you will see me Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. See, as he's telling his disciples that he wants to give this gift, all they can hear is, you're leaving. We're going to be all alone. We're going to be abandoned. And I know this fully well, because you all know I'm a, uh, my parents died when I was young, so I was orphaned when I was fairly young. And this, this verse has really struck a chord in my heart where Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I distinctly remember the day, and I don't know if I've told you the story, but my, uh, after several weeks in the hospital, we were, uh, I finally left the hospital. We were, my family was in a car accident. My mom, dad, and brother died. And after several weeks in the hospital, they let us out. And one of the tasks that we had to do was clear out the home that we lived in our things. Um, Bolivians have this thing where they wash the clothes of the dead. I don't know why, and I don't know what they do with it afterward. But, but we went. I remember when we drove out to the countryside, and they washed the clothes of my parents, and I don't know what they did. But on this particular evening, we drove out, and I remember it being dark, and we drove out to Bolivian is a high pl- uh, La Paz is a high plains area, so it's like a dry desert, um, flat plains. And we were out there, and in the back of the car, the truck, uh, my relatives had brought boxes and boxes of stuff. And I remember, because I was about 10, but we were out there. Uh, it, was, it was cool. It was uh, dark. And they started a bonfire. And I helped. And I remember throwing books and papers. And I was 10, so I didn't really quite understand. But I realized much later what I was burning was my father's sermons, my 
uh, their personal letters and cards. Um, uh, you know, any mementos that they had kept, uh, we were just burning this. Didn't know what, the, well, I, I did not understand, but I, I remember burning it. All my parents' notes and records and things. Today, I have a handful of things that somebody saved. But I remember later, growing up, when, when I was a teenager, and then eventually when I went to college and I decided to pursue ministry, because I grew up, as I told you, you know, in a pastor's household. Um, and then one day, I felt God was speaking to me to continue my father's work. But I, I remember feeling so strange and disconnected with this, this idea. And, and as I've moved into ministry, there has not been a day when I don't wish my biological father was alive to help me. See, when I was a teenager, one of the most difficult things to understand about myself is, where did I come from? My identity. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? See, when, you're, when you live in a family, it sets your tone of who you are. But when you're an orphan, you lose your identity. You have to get absorbed into someone else's family. They don't look like you. They don't eat like you. They don't talk like you. The rules change. It was very difficult for me. And when I got older, I struggled with that, especially as I stepped into ministry. And the one thing I wish I could do, even this day, was to call my father and say, Dad, I don't know what I'm doing here. Can you help me out? But I burned all his stuff. Right? I so wish. Jesus understands this. And he says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. Can you hear that? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. He says, before long, no one will see me. The world will not see me. But you will. Because on that day, you will realize that I'm in my Father, but I'm also in that's the gift, friends. The gift that Jesus wants to give us and the reason he had to physically leave was because that's the only way you and I will stop fixating on him as something other and begin to understand that the gift he is giving us is himself now fully internalized in us. On that day you realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. We are not orphans. We have not been abandoned. Yes, Jesus left. He ascended. And yes, he will return. But in the present, he is here. Not just when we're spiritual enough and little tongues of fire. No, no, no. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit, which is himself, will be with us forever. Always a counselor, a comforter. Why do we have such a hard time with this concept? I think it's because, to be honest, I think because the Holy Spirit is not an it. It is a he. But we've all kind of been sold on the idea that it is an it. See, it isn't it. That's well, not true. Our theological statement, our fundamental belief says Holy Spirit is a person just as much as Jesus is a person, just as much as God is a person. Holy Spirit is a he. 
You know why that matters? Because it means that you and I can have a personal understanding, experience, and relationship of God. In fact, it is the full extent of his love. It is the true gift that expresses he gave us himself. No, Jesus will not walk in the door of the church because he is inside the door of your heart. The fullness of him realized in us. I think that's amazing. Holy Spirit is not a force floating around there waiting for me to finally get my act together before he releases some power out of my hand. That's not how it works. It is he. It is God, not up there in heaven somewhere. It is God, not necessarily crucified and resurrected. It is God himself in you, in me. Not it. And that, friends, I think, is more than good news. It is a true measure of his love. We are not orphaned. We have not been abandoned. We have not been left alone, forsaken, forgotten, ignored. God is here, not just when we sing the song or when we're especially pious, but he is with us always through the difficult times in the times of joy, through the struggles you're in this moment, Holy Spirit is constantly with you. At your side, that's what the original language describes. Companion, counselor, advisor, comforter, with you. It is God giving himself fully into you. And all you've got to do is believe that.